0: From Talk 910, KNEW, San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black.
1: It's the Rob Black Show, and I'm Rob Black, talking typically all things financial. A lot of people ask if I'm ever going to get into politics, and I typically say no. One of the things I do say, though, is one day I wouldn't mind being mayor of San Carlos. And I understand that mayors have much more impact in my day-to-day life than, say, the president of the United States does as far as day-to-day. It's politics are very, very local in my mindset. And as mayor of San Carlos, I've said that I will take over the city of Belmont and put together a militia to do it. That's my joke because people don't think mayors can say stupid things like that. Let's bring in Chuck Reed, San Jose mayor. Uh, Chuck, how are you, sir?
2: That's I'm very good. One of the great things about being a talk show host is you can say almost anything you want to.
1: Uh, Mayors
2: have to be a little more cautious.
1: You do have to be a little bit more cautious. Let me give a a small setup on you. Uh, You came in in 2005. You announced your plan to basically run for mayor of San Jose. There was a situation where uh, someone was pulled out of office and you jumped into office. You had a solid victory against Chavez. Um, You are beloved as a mayor, Chuck, and I've never seen that. Typically, you know, Republicans like Republicans and they growls about Democrats and Democrats like Democrats and they growls about Republicans. But you seem to be beloved. Do you realize that?
2: Well, I do have pretty good approval ratings. Uh, I have seen polling data that shows uh, very high positives and very low negatives. And I think that's a good place to be in. Now, I'm beloved or not. uh, I think that's in the eyes of the beholder.
1: I think it is. Um, I think it tells you that San Jose is an up-and-coming city, and people feel comfortable being there, and they feel comfortable with their management.
2: Now, Heidi, no, we, We've got a great city, and there are a lot, of, a lot of good things, despite all of the bad things that we're experiencing. There are a lot of good things.
1: Heidi, my producer, booked you, and I was very excited by this, because I always hear that you're a, a man of the people, so to speak. You eat at the burrito shops. You go to the art museum openings. You support you know, the fast food industry. You support the arts and everything in between.
2: Uh, that's true. Uh, I do have to represent all the people. And I view my job as, uh, first off, it's a nonpartisan office. And I think I have to be nonpartisan. E- and even though I'm a, a Democrat, uh, I don't mind talking to the Republicans and the independents and the greeners and you know everybody else that's out there because I have to represent everybody. Uh, and that means all neighborhoods, all ethnic groups, all economic groups. Uh, and so it keeps me busy because I think uh, that's the job of the mayor is to be inclusive and try to get everybody into the solution and try to approve uh, all the neighborhoods in the city and not focus on a few.
1: Now, Heidi, my producer, has a question for you. And she says, is it really possible to stay true to the public who elected you and not just become part of the political machine and give in to lobbyists, party pressure, etc.? If so... How and who do you feel represents the good, honest politician?
2: Well, those forces you just outlined are, are powerful. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I said when I got uh, elected that I was not going to let the lobbyists, the special interest groups, the fixers and the wheelers, dealers that run City Hall. And that has been a central part of what I've tried to do is to uh, decrease their influence here. Uh, although it is very difficult, and one of the things that I tell the community when I'm out talking to the community is the special interest groups are always here. They've got paid people. They're always lobbying. They're always at the council meetings. But it is rare that the taxpayers show up. And part of my job as mayor is to try to get the taxpayers to show up, try to get them engaged so that we're aware that they're out there and paying attention to them more than once every four years when we have to run for election. But it's a huge challenge because typically folks don't show up unless they're angry. And there are a lot of stuff that that's not yet anger time, but we need to get people engaged on. So I work at that, and that means I'm talking to a lot of people and trying to represent the interests of the taxpayers and the average constituent.
1: What did you do, Chuck, before becoming mayor of San Jose? And I'm calling you Chuck, and thats I hope that's okay. That's fine with me. Okay, good, good. Mayor Chuck, um, what did you do before you became mayor of San Jose that made you qualified to basically lead the 10th largest city in the United States?
2: I was on the city council six years before I became mayor. Before that, I was in private law practice for 20 years here in San Jose. I served on... Uh, I don't know, a dozen or more boards, commissions, and committees at the city level. I served on the County Planning Commission, the City Planning Commission. I was chairman of the board of the Chamber of Commerce, president of the Downtown Association, and a few other things. So I had a lot of experience uh, dating all the way back to my Air Force days and the Air Force Academy where I academically learned about leadership and then had a real-world experience in working with and trying to become a good leader. So, put it all together, I had a lot of expertise and uh, a lot of uh, skills that I could bring to the office, and that's been very helpful. It's going to sound like a silly question,
1: but what about being mayor of San Jose overwhelmed you or were you not ready for?
2: The sheer volume of work and the broad, broad. Uh, list of issues that I had to work on that I had not really figured were part of the job. It's not the kind of thing you talk about on the campaign trail, but once you're the mayor of the 10th largest city in the country, it is something that is different than being a council member. It's not just uh, 10 times as many people. It requires a mind shift, I believe, in order to make that jump from council member uh, to mayor. And so the things that I had never thought about, suddenly you've got to do this. And you have to take the lead. You're the mayor, so you have to go to Washington. You have to go to Sacramento. If we have to uh, fire one of our appointees, the mayor's got to do that, and you've got to search for a new one. All kinds of management things that you don't really talk about, uh, the public doesn't talk about, and I wasn't really aware of the different mindsets. Uh, so it takes a while to make that shift, and that was the biggest surprise to me. It was just, man, there's a lot of people who need a piece of my time.
1: You're respected for your integrity. I know Councilman Jim Reed, and he's a Republican, and you're a Democrat, and he respects that you're moderate and you reach out to the left and to the right. Um, In that sense of working together, why doesn't that happen more often? Why do you think we as a nation go, I'm a Democrat, I'm going to go down fighting as a Democrat, or I'm a Republican, I'm going to go down fighting as a Republican. Why aren't we reaching out a little bit more?
2: We have a different opportunity at the local level than they have at the state and the national level. It's a completely different approach to to governing. So as the mayor, I, I think I have to represent everybody, even people who are in different parties. That's a philosophy I bring to the job. Uh that's not the case in Sacramento and Washington. It is a, a team sport in both of those places. Here I can act as uh, an individual trying to take care of my problems, being pragmatic and I also know that if I don't bring everybody in, if I don't collaborate very widely, I'm, I'm not going to be successful because power is diffused, and you have to motivate people to do something as opposed to tell them uh, to do something. So it's just a different approach at the local level than it is state and, and national. And, of course, I, I see people it used to be at the local level. Now that they've gone to Sacramento, suddenly uh, their perspective changes. and it, it is a different working environment.
1: I'm interested only for selfish reasons, and you could say no, and you could say I'm getting ahead of myself. But do you think you'll take your act, Chuck Reed, on a national level or on a bigger state level down the road, maybe governor, lieutenant governor, or maybe run for president down the road, or, or am I way ahead of myself?
2: I'm not going to uh, do any of that. I'm going to run for re-election. June of 2010 is uh, my election. That's what I'm focused on. That's what I'm doing. People ask me if I'm going to run for governor, and my response is California is ungovernable. I have no interest in being the governor. And I don't think I'm cut out for Sacramento or Washington, where you pretty much have to sign up for a party team and do as you're told. You don't really get to do your own thinking as much as you do as a mayor. So I think this is a job for me, and I'm pretty much planning on going back into a private law practice when I'm done, back to my old job.
1: San Jose is a shining star. You've created jobs in in time of a recession. How are you dealing with the eco- economic recession at this point in time, Mr. Reed?
2: Well, it is pretty ugly because uh, we continue to lose uh, jobs, even though we're creating jobs at the same time. We have the clean tech uh, industry sector that's creating jobs. We have companies that are making profits and companies that are hiring people. But nevertheless, overall, we're still losing jobs. And so... What I'm trying to do is to encourage, facilitate, promote, and encourage the clean tech sector because it is growing and has huge potential for creating a lot of jobs here as the country begins to spend a lot of money on clean technology and as the economy rebounds. I think we can capture a lot of jobs here. So that's what I'm focused on. But at the same time, the economy is dragging us down. The state of California government is dragging us down. Uh, It's difficult. We're swimming upstream, but we're still swimming.
1: Speaking with San Jose Mayor Chuck Reed, you brought up the green vision. This is something that's been pretty unique to you. You want to create 25,000 clean tech jobs, 100,000 solar roofs. Um, You want to reduce our capital uh, per capita electricity per watt per user. These are all very noble, and yet you seem to be accomplishing these noble feats by working with companies like Sunpower and Solo Power and Steon and Nanosolar and Fat Spaniel and Sunwise. Uh, are you reaching out to the business community? Is that turning the success for this?
2: It is a big part of the success. It's, uh, one of the things I've discovered as mayor is the vision part is the easy part. Okay. It, the implementation is tough. And so when we had the council adopt this green vision with these 10 long-term goals, they're difficult, bold, but not impossible goals, it's also important to have the goals and set performance measures and then track them on a regular basis so that people can see how we're doing, we can see how we're doing, and we can be held accountable for progress. And that's a part of the secret. And the other part is that Silicon Valley, we have companies here in our backyard that are doing great things. We're trying to collaborate with them, helping them succeed. And as they succeed, they're going to create a lot of jobs here, and they're going to help us on uh, succeeding on our 10 uh, goals as well. So each of those goals does require us to do some things with technology, and we're working with companies to help us and help them at the same time.
1: Like you mentioned, California is ungovernable. We have a budget problem to say the least. We have a spending problem to say the least. We have a tax problem to say the least. But one area to to we could fix and we can help solve all those problems is by creating jobs. And that's exactly what you're trying to do with San Jose with this green initiative. Now I also see that you recently have pulled in fifty six million dollars in the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And I think your quote was something along the lines of this is going to put people back to work. Have you gotten those funds? Is it putting people back to work? Is the federal government doing the right thing by throwing money to city mayors?
2: We're not going to turn down the money. We can and have put people back to work. We got people working today that wouldn't be working without the stimulus funds on projects out at the airport, projects like paving our streets, and several other areas. But we have not received and have not spent the bulk of those funds. I'd say we're probably in hand and spending somewhere between ten and twenty percent of it. So that, I think, is a reason for optimism, because I think it's the case around the country that other cities haven't received and spent the money. Because there's tens of billions of dollars in there around the country for clean technology. I think that money is going to uh, circulate through the valley. as uh, Anybody in Iowa wants to put something solar on their buildings or do energy conservation, energy efficiency is likely to use a Silicon Valley company. So it's good to have the money. It would be more important to have the jobs. Uh, This money is not going to create jobs. It's going to keep people working uh, while the money is being spent. So creating long-term permanent jobs uh, is something that it's very tough for any level of government to do. It's what the private sector does. And unfortunately, right now, the private sector is not doing very well in a job creation.
1: Speaking with Mayor Chuck Reed of San Jose, I need to take a little bit of a break here, Chuck, but I'm going to keep you for another 10 minutes after that. And I'm asking the questions people want answered. This is not the typical talk show. I'd never pretend to do that. Uh, if people have questions for Chuck, uh, jump on the live blog at talk910.com, talk910.com, and I'll throw them his way. Coming up, I'm going to talk to him a little bit about Tesla Motors, talking about being one of the greenest cities in the United States, talking about the San Jose Sharks, talking about maybe the San Jose A's. Is that in the future of San Jose? It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Talk910.com is the website. 910 AM is what you're listening to. More stimulating talk.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa,
3: whoa. This Chuck,
1: <laughs> speaking with San Jose Mayor Chuck Reed. Do you know the way to San Jose? You probably hear that a little bit too often, don't you?
2: No, no, I like that song. I think it's a cool song.
1: That's pretty cool of you. Um, I was on the live blog, and live blog, there was a couple questions coming in for you. One of them was Ray Nagin, uh, mayor of New Orleans, and how he handled the hurricane—maybe not so properly. How do you critique him, and/or how ready are you for a worst-case scenario earthquake?
2: I think. People have to look at New Orleans in a couple of ways. First is the planning before the event and then the implementation of the plan and take into account that they were overwhelmed. The size of the disaster overwhelmed their ability. And I think that can happen in any city because if we get the big one here in the Bay Area – our first responders are going to be overwhelmed. Police and fire are very well trained. They're going to be dedicated. They're going to work hard, but we could easily have much more than they can handle, and I think that was the case with New Orleans. It was more than anybody could handle. Uh and it certainly uh, went downhill from there. There's no doubt about the, the disaster was made worse by the response of the or the lack of coordinated response of local, state and, and federal agencies. So the errors were compounded, but it's pretty hard to judge a mayor by something the magnitude of that and say he should have been prepared for the gigantic one. And because uh, they had a pretty good plan in place, uh, but they were unable to implement it. But it was pretty big.
1: Is San Jose ready for a worst case scenario earthquake?
2: We are prepared to respond, and we're pretty good at it. We had a lot of practice from the 89 quake and some big fires here. But if you get a a bigger quake and all of our police officers could be busy, all of our firefighters could be busy, so the key is for the residents of our city and the businesses of our city to be prepared to go it alone for three days. You need to have three days of water, food, and medicine because there's no doubt that you can overwhelm uh, a system. No matter how well trained the people are, just on sheer volume, that can happen with a big one.
1: D. Decker on the live blog asks me to ask you, Mister Reed. Um, San Jose Earthquake Stadium: Is there any development on that? Because the city, uh, the citizens of San Jose, they really seem to be clamoring for the San Jose Quakes to stay, and they really need that stadium in order to do that.
2: We have property west of the San Jose Airport. We've sold an option to Lou Wolf and his uh, team of people who own the Earthquakes. So we've got the place. We know what they want to do. They've got control of the dirt. But fundamentally, the problem is they've got to raise the money to build the stadium. We're not going to build it as a city. And I think when the economy improves and Lou can put together some more sponsorships, they'll launch the construction on the stadium. But I know he's uh, continuing to work on sponsorships, trying to get the, the name sponsors at a certain level of cash flow in order to bring his equity partners in to invest the money that needs to go into the project. So it's up to Lou and his people. Uh, we've got the dirt, and we've got a deal, and we're ready to go.
1: Now, I saw that a San Jose Major League ballpark, slight change of topic, but on the same vein, you were quoted as saying, San Jose is ready to play ball. It's great news that this privately built and operated Major League ballpark would create a 1,000 jobs and generate over $5 million a year of revenue for local governments. How serious is San Jose about getting a baseball team?
2: We're working pretty hard at it. Ultimately, it's going to be a decision of Major League Baseball whether or not to allow the A's to move into what are currently territorial rights for the Giants. Those rights were created back in the early 90s when the Giants wanted to move away from the A's and move into San Jose. Uh, We were unsuccessful at that time getting the voters to approve a tax to do it. Now that the A's want to move away from the Giants... Uh, The Giants aren't reciprocating with that kind of uh, courtesy, shall we say, because they've got their own business interests. So it is going to be a Major League Baseball decision by the owners. If they give us the sign, and I'm hoping it's a hit-away sign, we want to be in a position where we're prepared to deliver the land and some infrastructure improvements that have to be put in place uh, before the ballpark could open. Uh, The biggest infrastructure improvement is a a roadway we call it Autumn Street. We're already planning to do it. We already have funding for part of it, and we have to do it under uh, several other plans. But we want to accelerate that and get it done before the ballpark comes in. But we have set forth the guiding principles that the council adopted on my recommendation that includes Lou Wolf's got to pay for the stadium. We are not going to build the stadium, and we're not going to operate the stadium. It's really Going to be on the major league baseball team's uh, responsibility to do that. If we can put that kind of a deal together, and we haven't put it together yet, uh, I think the voters will approve it, and we'll put it on the ballot, hopefully in November of 2010, for voter approval.
1: Now, a ballpark would bring jobs. A ballpark would help restaurants. A ballpark would help hotels. Can you give them a low cost loan as a as an incentive, or do you really want it to be a hundred percent financed by Lou Wolf and his team?
2: There is a a lot of benefit to having a ballpark uh, downtown has been demonstrated in San Francisco, for example, and and Baltimore and other places. So we've got a lot of infrastructure here in a way of restaurants and parking and entertainment venues that would really like to have another 80 games a year uh, played here in San Jose. So we know the impact would be significant. We can judge it based on what the Sharks do at the HP Uh, Pavilion. It's a big plus. But we're not in a position to finance the park, and we're not going to take the risk uh, to our general fund of guaranteeing a loan or anything like that. It really is going to be incumbent upon uh, Lou Wolf and his management team to come up with the money to build it.
1: I I have to ask, because I think that's uh, intriguing to uh, not ask. It's, It's just an intriguing problem that you have on your hands. On one hand, you really want them there. On another hand, you're doing the right thing by being fiscally conservative. And again, some people think politicians can't be fiscally conservative at times and it seems that you are and my wife works at the San Jose Museum of Art and she sees you come in on a regular basis and you support the arts how are you supporting the arts in the recession are you cutting the art funding or is it same old as it always has been
2: now, the arts have taken a hit in this recession our revenues in what we call our hotel tax or our transient occupancy tax have fallen with the economy. And so the amount of money we have available for the arts, because uh, they get a piece of that, uh, that money has has, has decreased. So we tried to soften it a little bit by moving some reserves around to try to slow down the rate at which they've got to take the hits. But all the arts organizations are uh, suffering from loss of contributors, loss of Uh, audience and loss from the government. So it's a a tough time for the arts groups, but we are still funding arts groups and we're still uh, continuing to support them in some ways, just not as much as we have in the past. And that makes it difficult.
1: And although I don't live in the city of San Jose, I want to say thank you for going out into the businesses, San Jose, because they see you, Chuck Reed, and they they get confidence from you. And I think that's a, a wonderful thing to get from your leaders and your politicians. Now, one more question.
2: I do that for a reason. What's that reason? (laughs) They're the ones who create the jobs. If we get more jobs, we get more revenues for our city, and that helps me provide services to my people. I've been out and met uh, one-on-one with about 150 Silicon Valley CEOs, and I have talked to them in groups of probably thousands of them over the last uh, uh, three years that I've been mayor because I really want them to know that we appreciate their business, we want them to stay here, and that we will do everything we can to facilitate uh, their success And they are creating jobs. We appreciate that. And ultimately, that's how we get out of our uh, economic hole is by the private sector creating jobs.
1: Why doesn't the rest of the world see this, Mr. Reid? Why aren't we trying to create more jobs? Why are we yelling at each other about cutting uh, taxes or or raising taxes? Why, Why doesn't the world see creating jobs as the solution?
2: Well, I think there's a different points of view about what it takes to create jobs. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people making decisions about that don't have a lot of experience in the private sector, don't have a lot of experience actually creating a jobs, meeting a payroll, and all of the difficulties that, that go with that. And so sometimes they make bad policy decisions as a result of that, uh, decisions that actually uh, retard the growth of industry and cause uh, less jobs. But here in Silicon Valley, I spent a lot of time talking to the CEOs. I had a lot of uh, private uh, experience in my private law practice working with Silicon Valley companies. I had to manage a business. I had to meet a payroll. I had to lay people off when there wasn't enough money. I had to go without a paycheck. I understand all that, so I'm a little more sensitive to it than uh, the average uh, a person who's in who's elected who's in elected office
1: help me settle a fight with a spouse um, she loves the hands of the 54 silicon valley residents greeting people at the san jose uh, mineta international airport the hands installation as it's referred to 1200 foot garage facade seven stories tall do you think it's great or is it an eyesore
2: it's a big piece of art that's for sure it's going to be a uh, monstrous to cover that the building which is uh, 3,000, 3,500 uh, car parking facility at the new airport. I think it's going to be a big hit. I'm going to withhold judgment until we see the whole thing and you can see the impact of it. I think it's going to be a big plus. And uh, art is art. Some people like it. Some people don't. In this case, it's also interesting that we were essentially able to pay for it out of the construction of the building without adding on to the cost of the building because when we hang up this art, it, it, it's actually architectural, and there's some other things we don't have to do that we save money on. So it was pretty close to paying for itself, which is something that you can't always say about art. So I think I, I like it so far.
1: Thanks very much for joining me, Chuck. It's San Jose Mayor Chuck Reed. I'll work for your reelection. I don't live in San Jose, but I dig what you do as far as creating jobs.
2: Hey, it's nice talking to you. I'll come back sometime. Just to talk to my people.
1: Thanks very much. Chuck Reed, Mayor of San Jose. It's the Rob Black Show, nine ten a.m., More stimulating talk. I need a cigarette after that Chuck Reed interview. He's good. He's good. I'm pro-jobs. I hate all politicians, ultimately, because they spend too much of our money and they tax us too much in the process, but... I do like the politicians who are pro-jobs and have figured out a way to succeed. Chuck Reed is a no-nonsense mayor, Mayor San Jose. You can tell the integrity likely came from his Air Force background. I was an Army brat. My father was a colonel in the Army. I think I've got some integrity. I'd like to think so. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I'm not even going to begin comparing myself to Chuck Reed, but I will compare myself, too. Who am I comparing myself to? Jacqueline Bennett from Cron 4. How are you, Jacqueline?
3: Well, if I want to be compared to you, Rob. <laughs>
1: you love me, and you, you adore me, and, and you say nothing but kind things to me at Cron.
3: Yes, yes, you are a good one.
1: So, what's it like working at Cron?
3: Um, well, I'm stuck in the weather hole, so I really don't know.
1: There's a weather <laughs> like, cave. and uh,
3: My weather cave. I don't really interact with people that often because I'm in my little hole.
1: Yeah, you don't come down to the newsroom very often, do you?
3: Yeah, and I'm in my weather hole. So sometimes, you know, you check in with producers, let them know when crazy storms are happening like this one.
1: Yeah, did they go to a tizzy in the newsroom today about the storm?
3: Oh, yes. Yesterday, I told them about it last week, because it had, actually the computer models were dead on about it and showing it 10 days out. So I was watching it all last week, but I tend to wait till a few days before, because, you know, weather. You don't want to always be wrong. You have to wait till you're pretty sure it's going to happen. And so last week I told them about it, and... They were on top of it yesterday.
1: Now, if we have computer models, why do we need you?
3: <laughs> because the computer models are smart. They just do what, you know, it's just one little method that they, they stick to hard and fast, and you, they don't, can't interpretate any, interpolate any of the data.
1: You're using big words there, Jack.
3: Sorry, you can't decipher? Is that too
1: big? <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. That's this
3: a- is a financial show after all, Rob. People are supposed to be smart.
1: Just between me and you, they're not, Jack. So anyway, what's the update on this storm? Is anyone dead yet? Uh, What do we got, 10 inches? What's it like up at Tahoe?
3: Well, actually, you wanted interesting facts. Here's an interesting fact. Give me an interesting fact. I'm looking at some of the winds, and obviously this is not a tropical storm, but... The winds are in the tropical storm force category, which is 39 miles an hour or higher. We've seen that in many places today. So very windy and already well over an inch of rain everywhere. The Santa Cruz Mountains has flash flood warnings in effect for those burn areas, you know, because when you have such heavy rain and there's no trees or vegetation to grab onto the soil, it just, boom, slides.
1: Now, I jokingly referred to you or told you yesterday, please, please try to work in a plug for people bringing in their poodles so their poodles don't get blown away. You wouldn't do it. Why not? Because it's just, I don't know. It's a public service announcement. You've got to help the poodles.
3: <laughs> Tie your poodles and chihuahuas down. Exactly. There you
1: go. Those are big wins. Those aren't something we're used to around here in the Bay Area. We get light winds. We, got, we like the ocean breeze, but uh, these are big wins.
3: Yeah, it's a a pretty big storm. Uh, It was Typhoon it hit Japan last week and then just got caught up in the winds and shot right towards us.
1: Now, when's the system going to be gone? Because I'm already annoyed with it.
3: (laughs) Well, lucky for you, it's only one day that we're going to be seeing it like this. So we'll see showery conditions back to what we're used to tomorrow. And after that, we're soon sailing.
1: Typically, they say when when it rains in San Francisco, it snows in Tahoe. Uh, Are we getting some snow in Tahoe?
3: Should it depends this is this a little bit warmer of a storm than usual because again it was part of a tropical storm and to have tropical storms and hurricanes your ocean temperatures have to be at least 82 degrees so you're talking warm storms right now we're in the upper 50s so if you push it farther inland it's going to be a little bit colder but I would venture to say that a lot of that uh, upper elevations will get snow but if you go down farther closer you know the lodge. Areas it might be falling as snow, but melting as it gets down there.
1: I'm not a very good skier, Jacqueline Bennett. But me either. When I when I do go skiing, I'm always fearful because I'm kind of a big guy and I kind of ski kind of like slow, and I'm always fearful that a ranger's going to shoot me, thinking that I'm a bear. (laughs)
3: That's a common misconception.
1: Common misconception. Hey, I don't need that from you.
3: Hey, you know what? You can just join me in the lodge for a beer, because that's where I'd be. I, I'm petrified of snow sports. I feel like I'm going to die at any given moment, even though I can do
1: it. I hear you, and you're you're a gutsy girl. I know you get out and do a lot of adventure stuff. I'm going to bring you in studio, and I think tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to bring you in Erica Sandberg on Thursday. Guess who I get on Friday?
3: Uh, I don't know.
1: Dan Rusinowski, voice of the San Jose Sharks.
3: Hey, I want to come talk to the hockey people.
1: Not not in the first week, so we've got to ease you into this, Jack.
3: I love hockey.
1: So people can see Jacqueline Bennett on Channel 4 Crown. You're going to be there probably all day today, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I'm going to head in there in just a little bit, actually. I'm going to get something to eat real quick and be there about one or two.
1: So you'll be on the 4 o'clock news, the 6 o'clock news. we have yeah. any other news other than that? Do we still do 11- 11 sure,
3: we... I'm sure we'll do uh, extended news coverage today.
1: Yeah, I'm off. It's pretty sweet. Especially
3: towards the afternoon when the stuff gets crazy again.
1: Good, good. I'll be at home uh, hanging out with Kit Kat and the dog at that point in time.
3: Yeah, time down.
1: So thanks very much, Jacqueline. (laughs) Real quick, one last question for you. Mm. Who do you like more, me or Gary Radnich? And there is a correct answer here.
3: (laughs) Are you really going to make me answer that? Yes. (laughs) I like you both in different ways.
1: Oh, that just stinks. Thanks very much. It's Jacqueline Bennett, Channel 4, weather person. I don't think I'm supposed to say weather lady. I think that's politically incorrect. So that's your, your weather update. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. In the next segment, I'm going to try to, you know, compact in as much financial content as I can because it's been guest heavy with Chuck Reed and with Jacqueline Bennett. It's the Rob Black Show, Nine ten a.m. More stimulating talk. Want to try to get to as much content as I can because I've been a little on the guest heavy side today. Dow component Johnson and Johnson reported earnings this morning. The numbers easily topped expectations. They raised full year's earnings per share, but it didn't really impress. Sales down five point three percent year over year, and it just isn't good enough. Not in this environment. So Johnson and Johnson taking a little bit of a beating uh, today. Nothing dramatic. You know, Johnson Johnson's way too big of a company, but the market's trading sluggish today. Johnson Johnson leaving investors with very little to cheer. Let's talk about what is coming next. Well, before we get to what's coming next, let's talk about Meredith Whitney. This morning, she downgrades Goldman Sachs stock that I own. So I'm a little bit bummed about that. Kills a little bit of market bullish momentum. Goldman Sachs is a big financial player, and as they've roared in the past year, it's telling us things are going to get good again. But now she's saying maybe we need to downgrade it based on valuation. She's made me more money than she's lost me, so she's one of those people I trust. Now, Intel reports tonight, and J.P. Morgan reports tomorrow morning, and these guys are big bellwether status type of uh, investments. If Intel and J.P. Morgan both communicate positive surprises, the market doesn't go anywhere— we could see some sell the news. We could see that correction we've been waiting for. On the other hand, if the news is good from them and it gets a bullish response, you can see a further extension of momentum where more people want to get involved. The X factor here would be a negative respo- surprise. Expectations are pretty high for these companies. So it could get ugly if there's a negative surprise. And the market should take us where the leaders take us. The market should go where the leaders take us. That's the right way of saying that. And I think that's a lot of content very fast. Congress today, Congressional panel, is set to cast judgment on the health reform. Rare moment of drama in President Barack Obama's presidency. Will he be able to pass his top domestic priority and get this through the Finance Committee? It's a big question. And what we see out of the votes today will tell us what does it actually, how far does it get out of the Senate? Deutsche Bank today is initiating Citigroup with a buy. It's the $4.77 stock. They say it should be a $5.55 stock. They think the 34% government ownership stake acts as a big overhang, yet they expect it to be reduced soon. Focus will eventually shift to what city can earn in a normal environment, and with that said, it trades at 1.1 time books. So they say, we like this stock. We like it a lot. Ford today announces that Chinese auto sales up 79% year over year. Now, this was off a pretty low number. So again, when you see that 79%, it doesn't mean like, Jesus, every Chinese person driving a Ford? No, no. It means that they went from 70,000 units to 120,000 units. That's a pretty big number, though. And you've got to admit, you know, Ford's operating pretty well. And again, it, it throws up that argument off the cliff that Ford should be, you know, that the United States should be protective of Ford. Ford needs China a lot more than we need, than Detroit needs Ford. So the world needs China on a lot of levels the further they develop as an economy the better for capitalism around the world if they practice something that looks like free trade get your calls in there it's 800-345-5639 it's 800-345-5639 now few inflationary threats in the near term someone called earlier in the show and said i own i bonds should i sell them there's an analyst group, Morgan Joseph, believes inflation likely to remain at low levels in the United States for the near term, given a number of factors. Inflation appears contained for the t- appears to be contained for the time being. They expect the U.S. consumer to be a drag on the economy. They expect prices and spending habits to change significantly. They think a weak global demand has contributed to keeping a lid on commodity prices. And ultimately, that means the producers don't have to pass on the cost to you, the consumers. Things that I throw out there, because this is what I do for a living. Let's see. What else is there out there? Um, Business Week. Business Week did a nice little piece on Heinz recently. And I'm going to do a show, I don't know when, hopefully before Christmas. Ooh, there's an idea. Maybe for Christmas. The top 25 stocks to own. Or 25 stock. Gift stocks or something like that. Maybe I'll do a theme show tied towards Christmas and maybe I'll do it on Thanksgiving because then that would be ideal for Christmas because we all start the Christmas madness period of our lives right around Thanksgiving. Anyway, um, Business Week talks about Heinz and I don't want you to go out and buy Heinz, but I want you to know that it's publicly traded. What do they do? They do ketchup, they do orida potatoes, they do classical pizza sauce, they do plasmon baby food. And if you take a look at the dividend, it's yielding 4.2%. That's pretty attractive. And a lot of the food companies are starting to consolidate. And Heinz isn't big enough to buy other companies; they're just about the right size to be acquired. And typically, when a company acquires another company, they pay a premium for it. Otherwise, you know, Heinz would say, "Go, go blow," and uh, you know, we'll run ourselves as a privately run company or a publicly traded company, and we just won't be a division of you. So, the company that's acquiring them has to typically pay a premium. Anyway, Heinz is one of those companies that just wants you to study. In large part, the more you know about product, the more you know about dividend yield, the more you know about management, the more you know how has Heinz done in the last hundred years as an investment. It's made you money. It's made you really good money. You remember John Kane married one of the, the, the trust babies of the Heinz wealth. Cynthia McCain. Pretty hot for an elderly woman. Um, but I digress. Totally digress, and I'm going to get myself into trouble. Other stories of note. Condé Nast. You know, Conde Nast is—they're shutting down their gourmet magazine. Why? And this is a story that's about a week old, but I wanted to get to it to basically show you that this was an industry that was out of control with their spending, and now what they're doing is shutting down businesses. And you can make a parallel to the way California spends. Down the road, we're going to have to shut down businesses. You can make a parallel to the United States and how out of control their spending is. Down the road, we're going to have to make uh, cuts. Top editors and publishers, they enjoyed huge clothing allowances at Gourmet Magazine. They got mortgage assistance at Gourmet Magazine. They, their assistants were allowed to drive in their chauffeur-driven town cars. It's just out of control. So Condé Nast is shutting down Gourmet in particular. That's shaking up the world. It was a 69-year-old magazine. It was pretty well established. It was fairly high-end, cost-cutting suddenly in fashion in New York. And I don't think that goes away anytime soon. The Queen Bee of the New York Glossies, Condé Nast. They got marquee titles like Vogue and Vanity Fair in the New Yorker. Shutting down gourmets, big. But why are they doing it? Because there's a better magazine out there called Bon Appetit. So product, it, it's still very, very important. But Bon Appetit's all about the recipes versus the big glamorous stories where you get a, a editor to go to South Africa to write about the food palette from 1,400 years ago. The Devil Wears Prada, the character was a rip-off of Vogue editor Anna Wintour, which is, again, one of Condé magazines, and it shows you how out of control the industry truly is. And it's just right for downsizing. It's just right to be beaten down. There's a new IPO coming up, and I want you to take a look at this one. It's called Rail America. An IPO is an initial public offering. It's a company that was private that suddenly says, we're going to sell it to the public. And when they sell it to the public, you and I have rights. We're allowed to look at the company's balance sheet. We're allowed to look at their financials, Every 90 days. They got to come out and disclose. That's what we're in right now, earnings season. Now, Rail America is going to ticker symbol be RA. Company increased the size of the offering recently, trying to bring in a little bit more cash. But the IPO has been pretty unsuccessful. Now, what does Rail America do? They do two choose. It's the biggest operator of short line and regional freight railroads in North America. In terms of total track miles, they offer 40 different railroads, 7,500 miles. They have tracks in 27 states and in Canada. Halls typically include farm and food products, lumber, paper, and metals, chemicals, and coal. Now, you and I couldn't figure out how to do this for the life of me. If I wanted to build a railroad, (laughs) I'd just put tracks right next to the other company's tracks. But legally, I couldn't do that. The company is profitable. They're growing at about 24% year over year. They are a play on an economy picking up. All the other rail stocks are up 100% this year, so don't go out and buy it thinking, glory, glory, hallelujah. Because the other rail stocks are up so much this year, the IPO took that into account. And it gave them kind of a premium valuation. People want to own train companies. Who can compete with a train company? They're basically monopolies. Do you remember when you would play the game Monopoly? There was four trains that you would go around the Monopoly board. There's not a lot of competition. They don't have people next to them. There, there's not an apartment complex that can, you know, slide a retailer right in there. Uh-uh, can't happen. So I want you to take a look at it. Again, I want you to get the business idea of a company that does short rail. Now, what again, short rail. Are we going to have farm and food products down the road? Are we going to have lumber and paper and metals? Are we going to have chemicals and coal? You will. So is it appropriate? It could be. But I want you to do research before doing that. So, as always, you want to read the prospectus of an IPO. You don't want to just jump in. You want to find out who their competition is. You want to find out if they have competition. Obviously, short rail would compete with trucking, probably more so than long rail. It's worthy of note. It's worthy to throw it on out there. Anyway, that's what I got for you on today's show. If you want to email me, you can email me, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. If you want to get a podcast of the show, keep in mind, this hour, I interviewed San Jose's mayor... Chuck Reed, background in the Air Force, background in the, as an attorney. I asked him if he was ever going to run for governor. He said, nope, I'm going to do one more term as uh, mayor of San Jose, then I'm going to go away. That's what I think politics was all about at one point in time. You would quit your farm, come to Washington, serve your time, and leave. I'd like to see more of that. I think it makes you a lot less accountable to other people's interests and a lot more accountable to the people's interests that are inside your community. At some point in time, he's going to go back to his community, and people are going to say, hey, good job. You get the idea on where I go with politics. Anyway, um, you can contact me, RobertRobBlack.com. You can jump on the live blog, Talk910.com, Talk910.com. Today I used the live blog the way it's meant to be used. I used it to add content to the show. When a guest is on and you have a question, throw it on the live blog and I'll throw it out at the guest. Guest that I'm going to have on this week, credit expert Erica Sandberg. How's your credit score? How can you improve your credit score? What does it look like to go into bankruptcy? How are the credit cards company holding people over the fire? I'm going to ask her all those questions tomorrow. On Friday, I'm going to get San Francisco tax successor and Prop 13 reform advocate, Phil Ting. Prop 13 reform advocate? I think that's going to upset quite a few people. I think that's going to upset quite a bit of our audience. On the other hand, I'm pro Prop 13 reform. Anyhow, anyway, coming up next, Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck, he's the one, the only. He runs the show from 12 to 3 here on 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk.